Psalm 118, 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. There's a traditional Easter greeting uh, in the church where one says, He is risen, and everyone responds with, He is risen indeed. Let's try it one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This tradition can be traced back um, liturgically to about 400 A.D., but it goes all the way back to the gospel accounts of Mary Magdalene in the garden uh, tomb where she was in the, in the tomb where Jesus was not present. And the tomb was empty that first Easter morning. And the, the liturgy was written around the gospel of Luke's account in, in Luke 24 um, at the end of the road to Emmaus story where the disciples were walking and they encountered the resurrected Jesus and the disciples were going to run back and tell what they had seen and what they had heard and that they had experienced Christ. And this is what it says in Luke 24, 34. And the disciple exclaims, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. We've been saying that same phrase for over 2,000 years. And since 400, it's been a part of the church's liturgy throughout time. My friends, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, today is Easter Sunday, and as it is for many of us, um, it often feels like Easter is a day of hurry up and go, 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 go. Maybe not in your house. Maybe it's just in my house, Easter is a day of go, 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 go. I remember growing up that um, my home growing up felt like Easter Sunday was a day of a week of Sundays. All in one with sunrise service, sunrise breakfast, sunrise, or then regular service, then Sunday school, and then regular Sunday school, and then the extra service, um, and then we volunteered, and then you mix in a family holidays, a whole weekend of holidays with family engagements. Boy, it's exhausting. Easter's exhausting sometimes. Still, we gather today to celebrate this key moment in our life of faith, and today we, we are on a journey once again, the same journey we take every year. Like at Christmas, you know, it's the same story, but it means so much to our life of faith that we, we come back to it every year. And as we do today, we do so with the perspective of gardens, because we are in week three of our teaching series titled Paradise Lost, Paradise Restored. And today, we're going to take a look at the garden tomb. And we're going to look at what the Easter story means to our lives today and how it reflects on our lives today and how the worst thing that happens in our lives, the worst thing that happens is never the final thing. So a pastor's family was invited to Easter dinner at the Wilson's home. And uh, Mrs. Wilson was widely known for the amazing dishes, covered dishes that she would bring to the church potluck. And so they were really excited. And as they gathered around the table, um, as the meal was being served, as usual, um, the feast was just a sight to behold. We were really excited. It was, it was not only beautiful to look at, the, the smells, um, it was going to be an amazing meal. When the pastor's youngest son, Peter, received his plate, he immediately started eating. Peter, wait until we say grace, insisted the embarrassed father. I don't have to, the five-year-old replied. 
Of course you do, Peter, his mother insisted rather forcefully, rather forcefully. We always say a prayer before eating at our house. That's at our house, Peter explained. This is Miss Wilson's house, and she knows how to cook. (laughs) Happy Easter, everyone. I'm so glad that you are all here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord together in this place. Two weeks ago, we started this teaching series on Paradise Lost and and Paradise Restored, um, where we focused on the many different um, references to the gardens throughout the Bible. And the first and last chapters of the Bible describe how God intended the world to be. Not only just how the world intended, how he intended the world to be, but also how God intended the relationship between God and humankind to be, um, what our existence was designed to be like, and what it's supposed to be like again someday. In the first chapters of Genesis, we see the creative nature of God, God the Creator. Life begins in the Garden of Eden. And then we flip to the back Revelation. And life ends in a similar garden to the one it started in. The first garden is where paradise is lost. That's Adam and Eve disobeying God and, and being exiled from the garden. And the second garden comes at the end of time. And in Revelation, God promises restoration. God promises a new heaven and a new earth, the recreation of God's garden, the restoration of paradise. And then right in the middle of those two gardens, right in the middle of that, we find Jesus. And we find Jesus' life. We find the cross. And in Christ's life, we see this restoration actually taking place in Christ himself. As God begins the reconciling of the world to himself through Christ. And so today we gather together to to celebrate part of that story, the resurrection of Jesus. And we're not surprised, or we shouldn't be surprised, that that it takes place in a garden. In John 19, we find um, the author saying that the place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never before used. And so one of the women that followed Jesus was Mary Magdalene. And on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, right, Sunday's the first day of the week. She went to the tomb, and there were a couple of possible reasons why. She could have gone to the tomb because she wanted to anoint Jesus' body for lack of time on on Friday um, before he was buried, or she could have gone to the tomb because she wanted to mourn, um, or she could have just gone to the tomb because she wanted to be near Jesus' last resting place. There's a lot of reasons to go to a gravesite. But regardless of why she went. She went to the tomb. But what she found was the grave that had been sealed was no longer sealed, and the, and the stone was rolled away, and Jesus' body was gone. The disciples came to check. Yep. Gone. And then they were gone. <laughs> and they took off. But Mary stayed. I find that fascinating. The disciples, they came and left, and then Mary stayed in the garden. What else is she going to do? Really? What are you going to do, Mary? Where else is she going to go? 
This is the last place Jesus was. This is the last place she knew where to find him. I want you to hear how the story is described in John 20. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Jesus' resurrection took place in a garden. And Mary mistakes Jesus for a gardener. God creates the world in a garden, making God kind of the ultimate gardener. Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, out of paradise because of their sin, and our sin drives us away from God. See, their story is our story, and on our own, we can't get back. We can't rebuild what's lost, and, but Jesus can. Jesus' choice in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we, we talked about a few weeks ago, to follow God's will to the cross and his willingness to bear the punishment and bear the weight of our sin creates an opportunity for us to be redeemed. By laying down his life for us, we find redemption. You see, Jesus died on the cross so that we could live with God again in paradise. Paradise being the king's garden. The king's garden. Jesus opens the door to us to live with God again in restored relationship. In the book of Revelation, we see eternal life and the kingdom of heaven and what it looks like. Um, Jesus gives this revelation to the apostle John and it shouldn't surprise us in Revelation, again, that we see a picture of a garden. And this is what's written in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no more night, no need for light, lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Just like in the Garden of Eden, the king's garden has a tree in it 
this tree of this tree of life, this tree of light, this tree that brings life, healing, and unity. And there's and there's water, of course, but a water that brings a water that quenches every thirst. Do you realize what, what the gravity of what this means to us today? Hope. This means hope. Hope for our lives today. Not some hypothetical future, not some possible reconciliation of our past, but hope for us right now, today. You see, the Bible begins with humankind being driven out of the garden because of sin, but it doesn't end there. Revelation doesn't end there. Because of Christ's work on the cross, we are brought back into right relationship again. And then when we reach the end of the story, when we get into Revelation and we enter into the king's garden, into the eternal garden, we find this fullness of life which is beyond anything that we can imagine. Beyond anything we can imagine. You see, when we trust in God's love and accept what God has offered us through the work of Christ on the cross, the garden, this garden becomes open to us. Because of Jesus' resurrection from the grave, we can then receive eternal life. See, Jesus' resurrection into eternity paves, kind of paves the road for us. It makes the way for us to have the same thing. Same thing. Because Jesus' resurrection isn't merely about a future eternity. So that's something that we get confused about. We talk about heaven and we talk about eternity as though it's something that's about the future. When in fact it's actually something about everyday life, about here and now. The most important thing about this is about how it affects our life today. So let me suggest four things, four lessons that we learn from the Easter story that we, can, that we need to understand for today. First, is that Easter shows us that God confronts the problem of sin and evil. Because sometimes we feel that evil has taken over our world, right? Let's just be honest. Call it what it is. Sometimes we feel that evil has taken over our world. We see it in the media. We see it all around us in our lives. Sometimes it feels like evil is winning. But God does not and has not left us in darkness. God's, God walks with us. And Easter demonstrates just how great his power is. It's greater than all of our sin. The second thing is that Easter shows us that God just doesn't allow evil to continue and darkness to reign forever. God responds to darkness, and his response is very simple. He turns on the light. It's a simple response. He turns on the light. God's light overcomes the darkness of the tomb. The resurrection brings God's light into the darkness of our world and into the darkness of our lives. The first chapter of John says, the light shines in the darkness and darkness can never extinguish it. This is what God does, and he does it out of love. God wants us to experience, to experience the fullness of life. Free from sin, unbound by, unbound by the shackles of evil, See, Jesus overcoming the grave gives us light and life that we can have in this world. The third thing is that Easter is also God's promise that sin and death will never have the final word. God doesn't just call out sin. He's not like, 
Sinner. There's a sin. You know people that do that. Come on now. You know people. I know people. If I know people, you know people. He doesn't just call out sin. He destroys it. He overcomes it has victory over it on the cross. It may seem counterintuitive to us, but Jesus, you know, Jesus being, you know, the lamb of God, the personification of love in the world, the cross is violent. And Christ was beaten and crucified. And it may have appeared that evil had the upper hand, but Easter tells us that sin and death will never have the final word. God is victorious through the cross. God's power and love and light conquer sin and death. I want you to listen to how the Apostle Paul describes it throughout Corinthians and Romans and 2 Timothy. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. He says, God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, in all things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves us. He says, our Savior Jesus Christ has destroyed death. He didn't say, I pointed out death. He says, I destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, we may sing about how the baby Jesus is so meek and so mild, but in reality, Easter demonstrates to us just how powerful God is and how important the Easter story is and what it represents to our lives. You see, the empty tomb represents the destruction of death. Victory belongs to Christ, and since it belongs to Christ, it belongs to us as well. And so the fourth and final thing is that if this is how Jesus deals with sin and death, then what Easter also tells us is that the worst thing in our lives is never the final thing because of the power of God that is with us. We are Easter people. We are Easter people, and that means we are people of hope because we live toward that final thing. People of hope are people who overcome. The power of Jesus' resurrection is a part of the power of God to each of us that means that the worst thing in our lives is never going to be the final thing in our lives. The worst thing that we experience will never be the final thing that happens to us. What is the worst thing you've ever experienced in your life? We all got the worst thing. We all got one, at least. Maybe it was failing at something, losing a job, broken relationship, death of a loved one. No failure is final, and the worst thing is never the final thing. Now, I never fully understood this and what this looked like living this out in life until I met Margaret. Now, I met Margaret um, during a hospital visit. Um, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, an aggressive breast cancer, the second time. And as I walked with her and her husband, it was her attitude and her perspective on life that just shocked me beyond belief. They didn't just like the Easter story. They lived it. When treatments went well for Margaret, we prayed together, get this, for God's miracle in whatever form it came. And Margaret would smile, grateful for the time she had, but ready for whatever God would call for whenever God would call her home. And when treatments went bad, get this, we prayed for a miracle in whatever form it took. And she would smile, grateful for the time she had, 
but ready for whenever God would call her home. We prayed for a miracle in whatever form it took. We never prayed for a cure. Margaret knew that death had been defeated and that she had victory over the grave because of what Christ had done. Because Christ had victory, she had victory. She had a faith that she lived in her life. For Margaret, worldly healing would be the work of God. But the greatest miracle of all from her mind and for her would be to experience her own resurrection into eternity, into God's paradise. And she demonstrated, she taught me what her, with her life, she taught me with her life what it looks like to know that the worst thing is never the final thing. Easter tells us that death is not final. Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, wiping it out of existence, and in its place is a garden where we can experience the fullness of life with God right now in the present and forever in eternity. Both and. Not a future perfect exclusively, but a present and as well. We have been created to live with God in paradise. Jesus' resurrection gives us that opportunity. See, we no longer have to be slaves to our sin because death has been defeated. And the worst thing is never the last thing. Life and love won the day. And God's grace is freely offered to us. All we have to do is accept it. Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And he left us, left, of his, left us his advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, which we get to encounter each and every day of our lives. And he sustains us. And we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to live in the king's garden forever. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the victory that has come through Christ. We celebrate your victory over sin and death today. We celebrate the new life that we find in you. Help us to never forget the worst thing in this life is never the final thing. And that your kingdom is always before us. It's in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior that we pray. Amen.